0: Stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand the Father and I are one. The gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, this morning, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. I pray you open our hearts, open our ears and our minds to your word. Pray as we leave here today, we'd be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit to share the good news with all we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Wait till it goes up. All right, there we go. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Let's give a round of applause to all our mothers. So. You know, I don't know what it was like growing up with your mother, but with my mother, she had that sixth sense where she seemed to know everything I was doing. And when you were a little kid, that was great because, you know, if you got lost, she was always finding you. She kind of knew all your habits. But as you became a middle schooler and a teenager, it wasn't so good. You couldn't get away with anything. She seemed to know things that she shouldn't know. And uh, in spite of my best effort, she was always catching me, and it was driving me crazy Maybe you're that kind of mom out there, or uh, maybe you weren't that kind of mom. Maybe your kids were just good at getting away with stuff. I was not. The other thing my mom did for me is she uh, used to read uh, to my sister, and I I have two older brothers, but my memory was more with my sister because we're about the same age, and uh, she would read us the children's Bible, and so she'd tell us the stories, and uh, she taught us how to pray, brought us to church, and uh, all those things that started instilling in me a conscience and a heart for God. I remember in high school, and this is one of the more minor things, it may sound major to you, um, my mom had a way, she was like Gruff the Crime Dog. You know what I mean? She would find things. And I had this baseball bag, and it was my stuff. And sure enough, she found a bag of uh, not Big League Chew bubble gum, but chewing tobacco in my bag. And uh, that did not go over well with my mom, but she did not let me know. Instead, she filled my bag with Big League Chew shredded bubble gum that looked like, uh, I'm not sure what was worse for my teeth, the tobacco or the uh, sugary bubble gum. But anyway, she developed such a conscience in me that I remember I would self-ground myself sometimes. The times I would lie to her or, you know, lie to my parents, I was like, you know what, I don't feel like going out tonight. Because they would just eat at me. I was like, oh gosh, you know, I'm just a bad kid. But um, anyway, um, although I was not very successful with getting away with things with my mom, when it came to people who didn't know me, I was a lot better. You know, because you could be kind of anonymous or you could blame it on someone else and they maybe thought you were a good kid. And, you know, so you could kind of just, where's Waldo, sort of blend in and not, uh, you know, draw attention away from whatever it is that you did. There's a story that illustrates it. It's about a college student who went to a large university and there was like 300 people in this freshman level class. And the lecture before the final exam, the teacher went over things again. The teacher said, look... The final exam is an hour and a half. After the final exam, everybody's got to turn in their paper at that 90-minute mark. The final 30 minutes will have a wrap-up lecture, and then you'll be done with the class. Well, this freshman student was not a very good student, so he spent all night cramming for this exam. He finally fell asleep and woke up, and he was late for the exam. Not just a little late, he was an hour late by the time he got there. So he had 30 minutes to finish an hour and a half exam. So that 30 minutes passed pretty quick. The teacher called everybody to turn their papers in. He tried to blend in the crowd, kept doing his work. And it came to the very end of the class after the lecture, and he tried to casually just sneak his paper on the top of the pile. And the teacher said, no, you don't. You're receiving an F. You were supposed to turn your uh, work in when everyone else did. And he looked at the teacher and said, do you know me? And she said, well, no, I don't know you. He goes, good. And he lifted up the stack and stuck it in the middle and ran out the door. (laughs) You see, sometimes it is good to be anonymous, right? (laughs) But I think if we're honest, maybe not in situations like this, all of us ultimately want to be known and we want to be loved. We had a guy who spoke at Courageous Parenting, and it's actually an illustration I like to use every year when we start up the high school youth group. And uh, it's a grid of these 16 squares. You guys can all see them right there. And we always, I always ask the students, how many squares do you see? And if they're good counters, if they've been paying attention in math, they say 16. But on a closer look, when you look at it, there's a lot more than 16. There's 17. There's the 4x4s, four which are all over the place. And pretty soon, then you've got the 3x3s, three the 3x3s, three and there's four of those. And pretty soon, you have 30 squares. And the thing I like to tell them is that they have a God who knows all 30 squares of their life. He knows everything about them, and he loves them. He doesn't walk away from them, in spite of all their, the things they try to get away with. You see, I think ultimately all of us want to have someone know our 30 squares. But we're so oftentimes we're afraid to do that. George Strait, the country artist, has a song that kind of illustrates the desire to really be known. He writes to his ex-girlfriend in this song. He says, Baby, since you left me, there's somebody new she thinks I'm perfect. She likes my body, my class, and my charm. She says I've got a confident air. She respects my ambition, thinks I'm talented too. But she's in love with an image time is bound to see through. And then he says to the ex-girlfriend, oh, you know me better than that. You know the me that gets lazy and fat. How moody I can be, all my insecurities. You've seen me lose all my charm. You know that I was raised on a farm. Oh, she tells her friends I'm perfect and that I love her cat, but you know me better than that. You see, unfortunately, despite our, all our longing to be known and loved, so oftentimes fear drives us just to have surface relationships with people. And the same kind of fear drives us away from God as well. We feel like, you know what, I, I don't want to really go all in with this Christ thing because then it might get uncomfortable I might have to deal with all this junk in my life. He'll know all my 30 squares, and he might want me to make some changes in my life. So we keep God at a distance. And I think this is so often why culture tries to make God obsolete, or say there is no God, or say God is irrelevant and there are no rules. Just figure it out yourself. Matter of fact, you're the God. You call your own shots. It's a lot easier that way. But I think if we really knew the God that's made known in Christ as we find in the scriptures, we'd want him to give our lives completely to him because we'd understand that he's full of grace and mercy, that he loves us, he knows all about us, and yet he doesn't walk away. Pastor Timothy Keller writes this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. So this morning, we're going to unpack the gospel reading. In John, that talks about Jesus being the great shepherd. We're going to look at our reading from Acts as the apostle Paul who understood that God knew him and loved him and how he wanted to share that with other people. And we're going to be reminded of those words too. We're going to be reminded that God knows us and loves us. And that demands us to listen to his voice and to follow him. When we have the courage to do this, our lives are going to be filled with hope and are going to be filled with life in spite of the ups and downs that sometimes we all face in this life. First of all, I want to give us a little context as we look into the passage today in uh, John. Um, For those of all, you all may not know much about shepherds, when I gave this sermon at 8 o'clock, sure enough, a lady came at the back of the service and shook my hand and told me she was a shepherd who had recently retired. I'm like, what are the odds you'd have a shepherd in the audience? But, um, so anyway, um, but for what it's worth, this was my research on uh, shepherding. Um, shepherds in Israel, um, all the central cities along the mountains where the shepherds used to uh, bring their uh, flocks, those were desert areas for most of the year. There was the rainy season when the sheep would get fed a lot, but a shepherd became very skilled during that dry season of finding safe and uh, green pasture for a sheep when it was hard to come by. Also, because of all the rains during the rainy season and the dry season, a shepherd was good at protecting a sheep, not walking on roads that were going to cave in or erode. So a shepherd always had his sheep's best interest in mind. Matter of fact, at night, they would make pens for the sheep where they'd build up rock walls and it'd be on the back of a big like uh, rock cliff so that no uh, wild animals or bandits could steal the sheep. And rather than uh, make a gate, I guess they didn't have hinges or Home Depot back then, the shepherd would actually become the gate oftentimes. So they would sleep in that little opening to protect their sheep. So when Jesus says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, this analogy for anybody who knew anything about sheep back then, was pretty powerful. He said, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So that whole image of a sheep protecting our sheep, that Jesus is the gate, he's protecting us, is a powerful image as we set up the context for what I'd like to share with you this morning. And then the other famous passage of the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Bible is filled with these shepherd images. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me besides quiet waters. Again, we get this image of a shepherd who has his sheep's best interest in mind. Well, today I want to focus on a few uh, a few lines, actually one line from our gospel passage, and we'll look a little bit about the Acts passage. But it says this in the gospel passage. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will not perish. First of all, I want to go over the fact that the sheep are known. And if we look at us as God's sheep, or people who are invited to become God's sheep, He knows us. As I said earlier, there's no charades with him. There's no hide and seek. He knows all 30 squares to you. He knows everything about you. And he invites us into his fold. When we look at the gospel, we see that Jesus, God, became flesh in this person of Jesus Christ. And when he walked among people, he didn't just say, hey, you're okay, I'm okay, let's just be kind to one another and call it a day that's not what he did he exposed people not in like an embarrassing way but when people spent time with them they wanted to change their lives he exposed the sin the things that were holding and burdening people and when they met Christ rather than just running away from them they wanted to stay and hear what he had to say and here's the great news Christ didn't run away from them either he didn't say you know what you're a you're this and you're that you're a thief See you, I'm going to go find a better person. He just hung around. And pretty soon, these people wanted to make changes. I think of Zacchaeus when he came down from the tree. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus, who had hoarded a lot of money and was uh, pretty much a thief the way he did his tax collecting, wanted to pay everybody back. And Jesus said, "Today salvation has come to this man's house. I think of the woman at the well that Jesus met who had had all these husbands. She was living with someone who wasn't her husband. Her life had been a mess. Rather than Jesus walking away, he stayed there. And the woman's testimony was, come meet a man who who knows everything about me. Come meet somebody who knows my 30 squares. That was her testimony. And then when people didn't respond, Jesus still loved them. I think of the rich young ruler. Jesus looked at him, and it says he was filled with love for this guy even though the guy could not give up his riches to follow Christ. So we are known. It was made obvious with Christ. And for all of us who have put our faith and trust, even if you haven't, God knows your story. He knows everything about you. The Apostle Paul wanted people to understand about the importance of knowing what Christ had done. He says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Something new has come. It's for everyone here. Freedom from sin, from trying to do life on your own, from selfishness, from trying to be God, from trying to call the shots, to allowing God to rule your heart. In the 8 o'clock, we read a psalm that said, Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. You are not an accident. You are not an afterthought. You're not just a collective soul of people. When God sees you, he sees an individual. He knows you. Peter, later in his writing, challenged all of us to grow in this knowledge that God knows you. He said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, the psalmist says, and his faithfulness is to all generations. God knows us. When we understand that, we can't help but want to know him deeper. My brother-in-law worked for the Secret Service, and I told this story a while back, but um, this is in the 90s. And one of the Secret Service's job, besides guarding important people, is knowing counterfeit money. And back then, their best people on the streets to find counterfeit money were 7-Eleven workers or convenience store workers, because they handled cash all the time. So as they're flipping through cash, all of a sudden, something doesn't feel right. You see, they knew the real thing so much, just from every day, that it was obvious when they had a counterfeit. So God wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. So we won't follow after things that are going to not bring us life. We won't follow after ourselves because we're not the good news. He's the good news. He doesn't want us following after the latest trend. He wants us to know him, know the real thing. The second thing is in this uh, example of the sheep, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. It says in John, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So it has been known throughout Middle Eastern shepherding, if that's a word that they actually know their sheeps by name. It's not like, hey, one sheep, two sheep, three sheep, you know, that kind of thing, like you're trying to fall asleep at night. They would have names for each of their sheep. There's a story in the 1980s about a a Palestinian, um, um, the Israeli army ended up confiscating a bunch of Palestinian sheep and putting them in a big pen because they weren't paying their taxes few days later, this Palestinian woman who was desperate said, I really need my sheep back. My husband is dead. This is my only livelihood. The guard filled with compassion. He said, that's fine, but there's hundreds of animals in there. How are you ever going to find your sheep? She goes, don't worry, I'll find them. So she brought her little son out and he played this little reed fl- uh, flute. And as he played, all these sheep started popping up their heads, 25 of them. True story, went out of the pen with the woman and the son, because the sheep recognized the song. And if you know anything else about sheep, they're not very smart, but they do know one thing, and apparently they knew this music, they knew this song. You see, the sheep understood the voice. They listened to the shepherd. And so in the same vein, God is calling us to listen to his voice, to study and know his word, just like the back of our hand. So as we go through all the challenges in life, the crossroads, all the 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 things that come our way that are not easy, that we'll listen to God. When we understand that our shepherd is skilled and courageous and has our best interest in mind, we'll want to be, remain under his leadership. We'll listen to his voice more closely. See, there's so many false voices out there. We have spiritual mediums that are trying to uh, guide people on how to live life. New Age healers, all these different people that claim to be the truth. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to me. Listen to my voice, he tells us. And finally, the last thing from this, uh, the gospel passage in John is the sheep follow me. See, it's one thing just to hear the voice, but it's another thing to actually put it into practice. Years ago, when I was starting out in ministry, I remember I was speaking to this youth group, and I was like, man, they're like laughing at my jokes, they're really responding, they're looking at me. And I remember asking this kid afterwards, he's like, oh, that was a really good message. And I go, really, what did I say? And he goes, I have no idea. And uh, so then I realized, all right, I'm doing something wrong, because you know he's, he's listening, I guess, but there's no uh, really life change, he's not really responding. So I started changing the way I, I did some messages. You see... Uh, we're not only called to listen, we're called to follow. When Jesus was calling his disciples, he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women. That once they left their nets. It was an honor to follow uh, a rabbi in that day. And they followed Christ, Jesus, who was a rabbi. They left everything. See, they followed. They changed their life. Their movement of their life went from being fishermen and other professions to following after Jesus. See, the early church was a church that understood that they were forgiven. They listened to the voice of God, made intimately known to them through the Holy Spirit. And not only did they listen to that voice, they put their faith into action. They took this good news seriously. They shared the good news. Not only that, they shared their possessions. They took care of people. They took Jesus seriously. They loved their neighbors They loved the Lord God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And they were not perfect. They understood the need to be forgiven and to ask for forgiveness from each other. But they had a purpose and a direction in their lives. And the other things that the early church and us too really need to realize, for all of us who believe, we have a clear destination of where we're going. And that's eternal life. In the passage, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my father has given me is greater than all else. And once again, he says, and no one can snatch it out of the father's hand. The father and I are one. So we're called to know God, to listen to his voice and to follow him. We are not the good news. Jesus is the good news. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we're stuck in our sin of trying to do life on our own. When we have a relationship with the shepherd, it brings us a better relationship with the sheep, with other people. And we know that even the valley of the shadow of death does not have the last word in our lives. So my question for all of you all this morning is several things. Are you trying to play hide-and-go-seek with God? You know, my youngest daughter, she's getting a little better now, is terrible at hide-and-go-seek, especially when she was two years old. She was kind of like the, uh, uh, you know, the ostrich, She would just sort of like, when she would hide, she would just kind of cover her eyes and maybe put her her head in the couch cushions, and we would try to pretend like we couldn't find her, but it was like, okay, you got to do a little better than that, maybe go behind the couch. (laughs) She's gotten a little better as she's gotten older. But how foolish it is for us to think that we can hide from God. See, we don't need to. God will not walk away from us. He already knows all 30 squares. He knows our good and our bad, everything about us but he calls us to follow him, to put our lives under his lordship. So don't hide. Be found today. It says in the the, the scriptures, as we work together with him, we urge you not to accept the grace of God in vain. At an acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. If you're not there yet with your faith, Make today the day of salvation, the day you say yes to Jesus, the day you put your whole self in, you quit trying to play the games of hide and seek. Or if you are there, I encourage you all the more every day, your whole self in, all of you, sold out. I've used this a lot on Wednesdays and Sundays, but I went to Virginia Tech. We were the Hokies, so we knew all about putting your whole self in, put your whole self out. That's, that was our cheer. Pretty lame. But it's a reminder for all of us as Christians. There's no part-time Christians, part-time followers of Christ. It's for us we have a Savior who loves us, who has our best interest in mind. Put your whole self in. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, that you might have life and have it to the full. Because of Christ, be found in Him. It's a total surrender, as I said before. It's putting your whole self in. It's not a collective consciousness where we don't have. Where we're just kind of like all buzzing together at the same uh, time. It's not just a group consciousness. God knows you individually, knows every about it, and collectively with all our individualness, all our thirty squares, we are the body of Christ bringing our whole selves in. In the screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis illustrates this. He had these kind of the good versus evil, the, these demons that were trying to get people that, to not follow Christ, to not put their trust in them. And the demons were talking about the danger of people getting close to God. And as they were talking, they said this. When he talks of their losing their selves, in other words, putting their whole selves in, what he really means is they're only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality, that when they wholly are his, they will be more themselves than ever. See, sometimes there's a fear, if I do this, I'll become this Jesus freak, and I'll be weird if I become more committed, if I put my whole self in. But I'm telling you, you become the true version of who you were always meant to be, who God designed you to be the closer you can get of just saying, I surrender. And we're called to do that daily. We surrender, and then we serve. As I said before, we put our faith into practice. See, the moment we try to separate the knowing from the doing, we produce corpses. In other words, dead Christians. If all we're about is it up here, all the knowledge we have in our head, we know some Bible verses, we go to Bible studies, all those are super important That's why James said, faith without works is dead. We're called to put what we know into practice, to lead other people to the shepherd who knows them, who knows all 30 squares, to help others to recognize his voice, to help them to understand scripture, to give others the courage that we have to follow Christ in our lives. Veronica has some great friends in Brazil who I've gotten to be great friends with as well. And they're just, uh, they're just people you just look up to. And they're, uh, they have great jobs, uh, in the, and they work a lot. But in their free time, they volunteer at one of the favelas, the, a ghetto uh, uh, inside of Veronica City. And it's a, a place that is uh, not the greatest place in the world. There's drug lords that kind of run the place. But because they know everyone in that little community, they're accepted there. And they reach out to children. They help them with all kinds of things. But most importantly, they help them to know God. They help them to know that they're known and loved. What great examples of people who put their whole selves in. Rather than, oh, I'm done with work for the week, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And they have fun as well. But they also understand that God was calling them to share with this group of people. So we as a church are called to the same thing. We're not called to a stagnant, couch potato kind of faith where we just come here and, you know, once a week... We're called to put our faith in action. You know, some of you may not be from a liturgical background, and all this standing up and sitting down, you're like, come on, what are we doing? There's a point to it. And one of the points is this our faith was never meant to just be kind of standing there. It's to realize that we have the, the kneeling, the sitting, the standing, the coming uh, forward for communion, the processing out is a reminder that our faith is one of action. We put our faith in practice throughout the week. So that's why we make you do all this stuff. Also, we don't want you falling asleep, too. <laughs> Post communion prayer says, Send us now into the world in peace so we can be couch potatoes. No, it says, Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. We're called to put this in practice. There's great opportunities around our church family. There's people who do prison ministry. There's missions that were taking the youth out of the country that Greg's going on to Tanzania. There's opportunities here and abroad. There's opportunities with our local outreaches. Memory Matters is a great organization that reaches out to people that are suffering from Alzheimer's and other memory problems. Great way for you to get involved. There's NOC. We've had people from our church that have helped out to volunteer to the Latino community behind our church. See, when you start getting involved with God's work, you realize that not everybody looks like you. We're called to all kinds of people. I remember my cousin Sarah, who has Down syndrome. She would come to church and she would cry the whole time because she felt the love of God when she would sing songs. See, we're called to people that don't just look like us. God's kingdom is very big. He invites people to come in, to join his fold, to put their faith and trust in him. And we get to join in and be part of that. We get to participate in, this, in that. I want to end for all you grandparents out there, for all you parents, for all you people that know people. So that's everybody because all of us know people. So we've got the mothers, the fathers, the grandparents, and all the rest of us who know people. We need to remind, first of all, ourselves and others that our greatest need is to be known and loved by God. See, this is our greatest need. Let's bring that message to the world today. If we don't know that ourselves, be reminded of that. Don't leave here today without knowing that. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you know our whole story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know all 30 squares. But just like Zacchaeus and that woman at the well, you didn't walk away from us. You're calling us to know you, to listen to your voice and follow you. Help us to do that this week. Help us to share your good news with all we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.